everyone! Welcome to an episode of Invisible Not Broken. I usually don't do these intros anymore mostly because I'm tired and it takes a lot of energy out of me, but I really wanted to make sure I did this for this episode. I interviewed uh, Wendy Nichols and I really, um, I need Daryl's help. So, and she needs it too. Um, first off, please go over to our show notes. Um, click on um, the buttons at the top. They'll definitely direct you over to Wendy's um, blog so you can hear about what she's dealing with. Um, but what she has is an actual timeline uh, for survival. That's why I need your help. Um, she is, uh, there is a cure for what she has, but because the way our medical system here, especially in the United States works, is that the, um, it cannot be released because there's not enough people who have this and it won't make the company money. And, um, there's a whole bunch of other issues. So if you listen to the podcast, you'll hear about them. So here's my ask. Uh, a lot of times we feel like since we have chronic illness or disability, we don't get to make an impact. I would like you to try to make an impact here. Um, what we need for this and not just for Wendy's disorder, but for everyone with an orphan disorder, especially everyone with an orphan disorder with a, a timeline, um, that's not one of the sexy disorders that has uh, foundations and help. Um, there's a lot of us. So what we need is we need people who are really good at PR, public relations, making things go viral. We really need um, lobbyists and lawyers uh, who can help really build this. Whatever the big sexy disorders that have runs and ribbons and um, entire help behind it. We need that for orphan disorders. So I want you to kind of like look around you, look at your Facebook groups, see if there's anyone that matches those descriptions, or if you know someone in politics, if you have a way to get to a politician's ear, um, helping those of us who are waiting for cures that are actually already in existence but are not being released. We really need some politicians to take this on under their belt. So look at your Facebook group, look at, um, if you don't have anyone, call uh, your representatives see what they might be able to do to help out um, all of us. Anyway, I will stop talking because this is an awesome interview. Um, Wendy and I have a lot in common. Um, so we do a lot of discussion about, um, of course, her disorder, what she's dealing with. Um, we go into a really important part where uh, Wendy discusses um, how to handle when you get a, um, a diagnosis that actually puts a limit on your lifespan um, and what you can do or should do or might want to think about doing um, in the first hour, 12 hours, week. Um, it's a, a really important segment. So this is a very shareable episode to anyone um, in your life who you think might really benefit from this. Uh, we also have a really long talk about being real um, in your life, in business, um, in, on social media. Um, and parenting, we, we discuss a lot about the quote-unquote inspiring word. Um, that's a theme on this podcast. I will stop talking now. I hope you really enjoy this. I really hope you share this, and I very much ask you to um, reach out to the people in your life to see if we can get some momentum on getting these orphan disorders some attention uh, globally, nationally. Um, this is actually time-sensitive, so see what you can do. All right. Thanks, everyone. I hope you enjoy this episode. Um, it's a long one. Uh, I believe we recorded almost two hours. I will probably break this apart into two sections. I hope you listen to both. Um, it's a lot of fun. We get a lot looser in the second hour as we just end up having a chat. Uh, take care, enjoy, and please, please, please share. Good morning! <laughs> oh my god, Wendy, I'm so excited to get to talk to you today. <laughs> oh, me too! Me too! I told you, I, um, I was not visually, um, 
you know, on point today. <laughs> that so. is not a problem. So for all the listeners out there, just letting you know, this will not be available on YouTube. So don't bother going to see how we all look because right now I look like a ghost because my desk got changed. So I'm right in a spotlight, which makes me feel super comfortable. So we are not releasing the video here. Listen wherever you listen to video. I am getting to talk to Wendy today and I'm incredibly excited and I'm going to do things a little differently today because I ended up going down a rabbit hole on her website. Uh, it's wendynichols.com. Um, please go there and when you go to show notes, there'll be a nice little button right there for you to click. And I want to read the first paragraph here because it is everything I've ever felt and wanted to like amplify to everyone. So. This is on her. This is not my words. I wish they were. Um, I know you'll understand. I wish I knew what it would take to convince you that being a woman, mother, wife, and all-around badass was not as pretty as social media makes it out to be. There is nothing more suffocating than seeing a mom juggle 435 kids Duggar style while serving her community and banging out explosive content on her wildly successful RS feed, all with a smile and wondering why you can't seem to get a handle on boiled water. I am the woman who will sit next to you on a park bench and wonder why the other mom tries so hard and make it look all perfect and easy. It's my passion in life to make imperfection and messes into a beautiful reality. Throughout the blog, you'll find stories of love, life, loss, leadership, and having faith when it seems impossible. Okay, you just like rocked my world with your blog. <laughs> and for all of our people out there, you know, like when we're saying woman, mother, um, that is just how, how we are describing ourselves. If you are falling into any of the other categories, please feel included. You are included in all of what we are talking about. We are just specifically discussing ourselves in this. But oh my God, you said everything I've ever felt. So we will get to all of that, I promise, um, because we've been professional women in our lives. And um, that's a lot of like perfection that especially when you present as female, you are expected to juggle. And it's a little mm -hmm. disturbing when you get all those, um, everyone looks at you thinking it's easy. So I want you to start with um, what do you have? Because I had to look it up. I have never heard of it, which is part of the point of why you're here is to get awareness on it. Yeah, it's called LCAT deficiency. And interestingly, um, there's only Last I checked, 70-ish people in the world who have a confirmed diagnosis in the entire world, not just USA. Um, so it's it's a kidney disease. So my eyes have so my kidneys are um, bilateral scarring of the kidneys and the corneas. So my eyes look at progressively lighter. My vision is going to go, and um, my body does not make HDL. So of course that affects your cardiac system and what's, what was the word? Cardiac system. <laughs> we could go for, uh, cardiac system. We're both on our first cup of coffee. Okay. I, I will, I'll take it for a hundred. <laughs> <laughs> it affects that. But, um, so they don't know it's a genetic component. So both of my parents were carriers and I was the lucky one out of all, all of my siblings to get the full blown illness, whereas they are all just carriers. So congratulations. Um, I, and my dad also said, yeah, another reason I should not have married your mother. Oh, ouch, <laughs> ouch, ouch. That, that sounds like family therapy time. <laughs> yeah, that's another podcast. <laughs> we'll, we'll leave that one there and walk slowly away from it. <laughs> that sounds like a time bomb. <laughs> um, but I was diagnosed at 24. I am 39 now. And statistically, um, it was told to me, I'm a study case at the NIH in Bethesda, Maryland. So the thing is the FDA 
and the CDC have worked together. There is a cure, but they are not releasing it um, because it doesn't financially behoove them to release this cure. So in other words, there aren't enough people that would make it, you know, reasonable to release it. So the more people that have a diagnosis, the more likely we are to get the cure out there. And my doctor had discovered that it also reverses heart disease. Can you imagine? I'm um, starting to see why a capitalist uh, medical system would want to keep stuff under wraps if it would cure heart stuff, which they make billions of. We'll leave that alone too. And that's um, what I said. I said, why do, do you think that if you announce you've cured heart disease, that they are going to let you cure heart disease? So... In the meantime, which I'm sure you'll get to, I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia in the middle of all that, and more recently, a neurological function disorder where my body just goes paralyzed unexpectedly and out of nowhere, where my brain, it's locked-in syndrome. My brain is firing away as clear as it is right now, but I'm completely paralyzed, and I've been rushed to the hospital. I'm thinking it's a stroke, but it hasn't been. But the good news is we have diagnoses, which a lot of people out there if you're listening to this and you have symptoms and you don't have a diagnosis, I understand how that feels as well. So there are many positive things that come out of this. I, 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 then I'll just go with the joke I was going to in my head. I'm like, no, Monica, no, that's a bad joke. Stop it. And I was like, wow, that's great for, you know, the mannequin challenge when you get the locked in syndrome. Uh, I can only make that joke because I actually have the same syndrome. <laughs> so that's, that's uh, yeah. Anyway, I figured if you were going to laugh at all this, we could laugh together. Um, I never thought of that. I have to do that. <laughs> Happy to help. <laughs> I swear, half of the worst things that I do not say, I promise everyone on this podcast, I do not say like 90% of the horrible things that run through my head. Everyone's all just too perfect and you have to try. <laughs> um, <laughs> so <laughs> it, it just was too good. Um what were some of the symptoms? Because if you were one of 60, I can't even imagine how a doctor pulled out a diagnosis. What were some of the symptoms that led up to, or if your parents are both carriers, did they have a genetic test and knew that this was a possibility? No, it was not genetic testing. What happened was I used to moonlight, not moonlight, but daylight, whatever, as a lab tech in a hospital. And I just had the symptoms. I was exhausted all the time, chronically tired. I was always have these really bad infections. I, as, as well as I feel sitting here next to you speaking, I would have a fever in a moment's notice and be on death's door. And I would have no warning, no symptoms. And then one day I had sepsis. My doctor in the emergency room said, you have a lot of protein in your urine, follow up with that. Now, I mean, when you have a UTI and sepsis and a really bad infection, it's no wonder that you would have proteinuria. So I went, to an, after four or five nephrology visits and countless 24-hour urines later, I ended up going for a kidney biopsy, and that's when it was confirmed. So, and all of, and I was 24, so I didn't have nearly the symptoms then that I have now. And they said, you know, statistically, your body starts, it's a systemic, progressive, slow breakdown of the spleen, the liver, the kidneys. And I'm going to be 40 in May, and it's the fourth decade of life that things start breaking down with LCAT. And he looked at my father. I was, I was in the hospital just two months ago and he looked at my father and he said, she has 10 years. And I said, mm, 10 years till I need dialysis or 10 years until I'm dead. And he didn't really answer. But the thing about dialysis for people with LCAT 
is that I'm not eligible for a donor because my body's only going to attack the new kidney, even a familial donor. In other words, if somebody out there who has regular kidney problems, like, you know, a diabetic um, nephropathy, things like that, um, they would be more eligible to get a kidney than I would. And, and it's a risk for every kidney patient, but LCAT, they just, we're going to fight that. But if I don't get the cure in my system before dialysis, then I'm no longer eligible for the cure because it's um, basically what insulin is for a diabetic where it's a replacement. It's not necessarily a medication. It's just a replacement for what my body is not producing. And that's where we're at right now. It's been, there's been no new findings. He has a cure and they're not releasing it. And every single day I just, if I don't feel well, I allow it. And my whole life, I think one of my biggest problems is that I wasn't accepting of how I'm feeling. And the more I fought it, the worse I felt. So, um, yeah. But anyway, to answer your question, that's how I discovered it. Just nonstop detective work. That's an impressive... I don't think anyone who doesn't have chronic illness can understand the exhaustion of just doing research because that's tons of spoons to just like... Look, but I want to head back just for a minute. If you're not willing, if anything is bothering you or you're like, just step away from that topic, just raise your hand. I'll see it. No one else will. Um, but I will walk really far away from the topic. I don't want to ever make you uncomfortable. But what you just talked about is something that a lot of people will go through today, this week, this year, is getting a diagnosis where there is a life expectancy stop. And um, can you talk to us? Because like you have like one of the most amazing um like seriously read her blog just go to the blog like while you're listening to us talk go to her blog and read um i want you to help walk someone through this like talk like just how do you handle us that how do you handle that within the first like hour the first 12 hours the first week like what do you do what do you wish you had done well, well thank you for the compliments by the way i really appreciate that but to get through i am i wasn't always a positive person I really wasn't. I'm, with people with chronic illness, I hide a lot. And on the bad days, I hide a lot. But for me, either way, when you look at it, even people without chronic illness, are they could very well be on borrowed time. Someone with amazing health, they have no idea what tomorrow will bring. So I get on the same level as somebody who doesn't have chronic illness. Something can happen to them tomorrow or in another hour. Like none of us know what the future will bring. So for me, having a life expectancy changed the game for me. I saw beauty in things I wasn't paying attention to. I saw my goals had to come to fruition quicker than I may have allowed them to or pushed further and harder um, sooner than I would have if I just didn't have this in my mind. I don't live my life like I mean in my head I, I count the days I said that in, a, in in the interview um format that you sent me or the questionnaire but I don't live like that when someone tells you you have an expectancy and they told me this 15 years ago I didn't take it very seriously because I felt fine and I look fine you know you look fine so you'll be fine but you don't look <laughs> sick <laughs> you don't look sick what so I yeah, so I would say um, thank you, uh, but I it it wasn't always easy. It's just I had two children. They told me I shouldn't or couldn't, and I did. I took a very big risk having those children. I almost died both times, and it was not smart by any means. But I will never let someone govern my life, whether it's a doctor, my own body. 
I really feel that if I keep talking about it, like I'm a big believer in manifesting. So if the doctors tell me you have 10 years or you can't have children, I, I am the kind of person who would defy that to just because I am in control of my own life. And I really do believe that. Maybe I'm delusional. I don't know. <laughs> you're a parent. Of course you're delusional. All of us have children are a <laughs> yeah. little delusional. We're all, we're all right there. <laughs> yeah. So um, if somebody out there is listening and they have a life expectancy, to be honest, it, it's no different than if I, I didn't. I view it as a blessing. On the good days, I view it as a blessing because I'm so grateful. I don't allow toxic relationships. When, you, when you're on borrowed time, you don't allow the BS and the nonsense to impact you and waste time. So that is, yeah, in a nutshell. I don't want to get too wordy on your show because I, I can't. That's why we talk. This is this is what we're doing here. I love what you said, um, so much of what you say. Uh, but one thing that really hit me very close to home is when you said I wasn't always a positive person. And that's something I'm trying to explain right now to my children because I they call me, um, is it, terminally optimistic. And I try to explain them, like, you know, I... I also suffer from depression and anxiety. This is hard mm-hmm. one. Like the mm-hmm. happy is not something that you just get handed a lot of the time. Unless you are one of the very few people who get overproduction of serotonin. And if you are, go to the nearest lab, help them figure out how to get it to the rest of us. That would be awesome. But to meet the world open um, and to meet the world without a ton of armor and without a ton of fear, that is something that is effort and it's worked on. It's not an accident and it's hard. That's some of the scariest things you'll ever do is to walk into new situations and scary places with the armor off. You make me want mm-hmm. to like do a like open round table with all of my past guests, like have like some sort of networking like group thing because you and Dawn remind me so much of each other. Like and she's, she's actually my first interview. She has amyloidosis and she's a mother who was told not wow. to have children. And she has a, life expectancy that she's fighting and off air, I'm going to get mm-hmm. you two in touch because I don't know anyone who's a better pit bull at fighting the medical system in the United States than she mm-hmm. is. So I will, I will give mm-hmm. you guys a way to connect. Um, and thank you. For the frustrating, the frustrating part for LCAT is that I, I will tell you where I do get sad. This is something that cause I'm just one person. I look at all the other LCAT patients and I was able to network and get a small Facebook group of all of 16 of us. And Every single one of them, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to speak negatively about my people. And if you're listening to this and you have LCAT and you are my people, I love you. But a majority of them are not very vocal in, uh, on a public forum and, and reaching out um, and, and trying to fix this. I'm not willing to let someone else dictate the end of my life. So when I see other causes have marathons and 5Ks and walks in their honor um, and find a cure and digging for research. I don't have those things. I don't have, you know, people donating to causes or charities. It's just me. And that's where I do get frustrated sometimes because you feel forgotten about when the government is the only ones with a brilliant minds at NIH. So to have something that's rare and incurable um, is very difficult. One of my best friends has multiple sclerosis and she has so much support and she has marathons and 5Ks and really great things that are supporting her and explorative cures and medications. 
And I'm proud. I'm proud. I'm going to, I'm going to connect the two of you too. I am proud uh, to say that she does get a lot of support. I think that's probably one of my biggest challenges is lack of support and understanding because nobody understands it. It's a long word with a lot of vague, obscure uh, diagnoses, um, details. So, yeah. It sounds like what you need is like an incredible PR person, like someone who's fantastic at public relations and making things go viral. And not just for Mm -hmm. LCAT, but just something to go viral to force our health industry and our government into creating a compassionate care program, where if there Mm -hmm. is something that works, that it could be released at least to those who need it to survive. Like, see, it sounds like for what you need is like incredible PR and an incredible lawyer. And a lobbyist, yes. a lobbyist to fight for all of the orphan diseases, not just one at a time, because mm-hmm. together are stronger. But a lobbyist who will fight for all these orphan diseases, for there to be some sort of workaround in a capitalist healthcare industry mm-hmm. where they cannot hold, withhold life-saving medications because of profit. And that is the thing. There was a compassionate dose. There was one patient who received it, but he was non-compliant, and he did not follow protocol we're all on protocols at the NIH and so he had um something happen where he went into AFib but AFib was pre-existing for him Mm -hmm. before he started the compassionate dose so he reported it and they abolished the cure that they had because of a non-compliant patient who blamed the cure uh, for his AFib exam uh, situation that happened and so none of us are able to get a compassionate dose at this point in time and so he looked at me a couple of um, months ago and he he knows the clock is ticking to get this stuff in my veins but I feel powerless and to find someone with PR that's I gotta say my symptoms and feeling bad and I do have depressive moments but the hardest part is knowing that other people are in control. That is not my personality whatsoever. <laughs> whatsoever. You don't say. I've already known you for like 15 minutes. I'm like, yeah, that's definitely what would bother her. <laughs> <laughs> I'm super easygoing, but then I'm really not. <laughs> yeah, you know, like so. I just reading through your things, I was like, wow, I feel like we're cut from a very similar cloth. I think I think we're gonna get along. Oh, well, you are a phenomenal host. I gotta say, uh, you're a phenomenal leader. I could already tell that. That's great. And this oh. is a great show that you're doing. You're gonna make I me really, cry. Really you're gonna make me cry it. once today. So you can just keep going. It's fine. I'll cry later. <laughs> I don't mind. <laughs> Well, it's one of those things I've been looking for. And for those in your audience who are listening, these are so important to Sponies. They really are. So thank you for having this, for doing this for people. You know, it's hilarious. So if anyone's listening who's listened for a while, you know we've changed format quite a bit lately, and that's because I've gotten tremendously sicker in the last six months. So I almost quit. I almost, <gasps> like, balled up this podcast and went, I did something great for a year. I, I have to let it go to focus on my health. And um, one of you listeners and one of my people I interviewed came forward and said, I will co-host. I'll take I'll, I'll take <gasps> half of the work off your shoulders. So that is the only reason we are still on the air is Eva from Wallacopia. She runs her own segments on this podcast. She is a rock star, and this would not exist without Eva from Wallacopia. So... Um, and every time oh. I was ready to quit, and there's like four or five times I was just ready, I was ready to press the stop button, and someone kind sent me an email and said, this is important to me, please don't stop. And I am a sucker for please don't stop. Like, I'll please take someone stop. going, this is necessary at one o'clock in the morning. I'm like, well, 
I can't then because someone needs this at one o'clock. It's such a mom thing, isn't it? Like the someone needs something, so I will take myself to the wall to get it done. <laughs> and I want to yes, talk well, about this. You don't do this for you. You do this for other people. Oh, you God, provide no. value. No, I do not do this for you myself provide. at all. I used to. Mm-hmm. I started this for me because I went from being a professional. I ran my own business. I felt like I was getting lots of scratches behind the ears of you're so you're good. You're great. You're doing something important for everyone. And then that all went away. And I went from a scheduled life of every 15 minutes was scheduled for up to 80 hours a week, 40 to 80 hours a week is how much I'd work on my business to being in bed. And I didn't know how to process it. So I started a podcast, but it quickly got away from me. It was a lot more work than I ever put into it. <laughs> so it was so yeah. great to get the help. I want to talk to you about parenting um, mm-hmm. because I think that a lot of what us with chronic illness deal with with parenting is exactly what everyone else is dealing with parenting but times a thousand. So mm-hmm. I want to hear about like your decision to have a child after knowing that you have a genetic and there is no shade. There is no judgment here in the slightest. I just mm-hmm. want to understand the thought process because I know that you're not the only one who's making these choices. And I want mm-hmm. anyone who's out there making these decisions to feel like there's another voice in this discussion and someone who's actually done it mm-hmm. instead of a lot of people well, who have me, opinions without living it. <laughs> well, for me, Um, it took a lot of, I fell in love with my husband and I knew that my, I knew that my children were not going to get it. I knew that they would not get LCAP because my husband was not a carrier. So I knew that if I could just overcome it and bring in healthy children to this world and they got a fraction, they got 50%. He is a brilliant mathematical genius. He is a pilot. He is just a fabulous patient person. And then my drive and my motivation, my, I feel like the future would be unstoppable if I had anything to say about that. What I didn't consider was life expectancy that came after I was already a mom. Mm -hmm. So that I do admit that that may have been irresponsible on my part for the fact that my kids may not have a mom one day. And I never considered that. But at the same time, I am very honest and open with my children. I do a lot of parenting from bed. I'm sitting on my weighted blanket right this very moment, you know, um, and, I, and I, I'm honest with them. The problem I ran into, because they're eight and nine, they're still little, they're just learning self-awareness. I wanted to be super mom. I wanted to be just like the moms in the car loop. I wanted to be the mom who can have meals on the table because I did not have a very structured upbringing. I grew up in dysfunction. And so I didn't want that for my children. So I had this vision and we all do. We have this vision of the kind of wife we're going to be, the kind of mom we're going to be. So I wanted to just, I I wanted to just have love. And I knew that I could create that because I didn't have it in my life before that. So they are very understanding. They have called 911 for me, and I thought that makes me a bad mom. But what I have made are very compassionate, understanding human beings. And I, there's a lot of guilt in I'm the sick mom. I'm not, I can't drive at night. I'm not going to be able to take my teenage daughter to the mall. But I can call Uber. We can go together. Like There's always something I know that I can flip it. And these, this is on a good day that you caught me. And there are days where I'm like, I'm a terrible mom. What did I do? I, what did I do with my life? But I, if I'm honest with them and I know that I'm creating a solid future for them to be doctors, they want to be veterinarians. They want to take care of people. And we don't have enough of this in this world. So if I can't get my care, if I can't cure the other LCAP patients, 
And if I can't get the FDA to work with me, then you know what? At least my legacy is going to move forward in providing that for the future, just through my two kids. As idealist as that sounds, and a little altruistic, um, that's how I put my head down at night, knowing I said F you to the doctors. Sorry, that's bad for your podcast. Have you <laughs> not heard the podcast before? Do you know how it, like, this is the longest I've gone without swearing. I mean, <laughs> that's fine. Please say fuck, gush, uh, any of it. Um, <laughs> the only people who seem to read me on my, like, swearing is my lovely, wonderful aunt who I've actually tried to, like, stop swearing so much because she's like, I like your podcast, but... <sighs> Can you stop swearing oh. all the time? So I backed off just for that. But please, feel free. She can't yell at you. Um, okay. <laughs> she can't yell at you. Okay. She's one of my favorite humans. I would do anything for her, even try to stop swearing. So she knows who she is. Well, um, I'll respect your aunt and other people. <laughs> <laughs> but off camera, I mean, I'm a little colorful sometimes. I hear colorful. I'm right there with you. Uh, you said some really amazing things about having children, and it's it's so interesting how that gets uh, weighted through filters on, because I've heard a lot of reasons for having kids. And I'm like, mm, maybe try a puppy for a few years before you use this as the reason to, to go off and like have a non-breakable commitment. Um, <laughs> yeah. I didn't have kids for me to take care of me. Yeah. It wasn't about me at all. And there's, you know, like, there's this idea of, like, I feel like this is going to be a gift to the world. Like, I am going to do everything I can to create compassionate, amazing people who will move understanding, compassion, and care forward. And, you know, that's that sounds like such a, I mean, that was, that, that sounds like a beautiful reason to, to bring humans around. <laughs> and you've touched on some things that I think are pretty intense um, for for anyone who's raising children. And I feel like if you are presenting as female and you are um, enjoying any of the media directed at anyone presenting female, as in like Family Circle or Good Housekeeping or any of these magazines that put forward this very intense level of what you are supposed to be. The meals on the table, the games mm -hmm. you're supposed to play throughout the day with them to keep their brain. Like it's an, my friend calls it lawn, lawnmower parenting where you're out yeah. there like smoothing the way for them. And like, you're just taking all the rocks out of their path and you're just like making everything perfect <sighs> for them. And I feel like, you know, when we're sick parents, like we're, we're actually like forcing that off our plates. We can't helicopter. We don't have the energy to move. We can't, remove rocks from our own lives like they really are forced to move themselves forward and do things like that can you tell me so I've, i'm sorry i protect oh, them by preparing them what a beautiful you are so good at like the, the two sentence tweet like <laughs> this is wisdom in a tweet <laughs> right here that's beautiful i love that can you um it's like with my daughter i got really sick when my daughter was a toddler and that is the age of maximum mobility minimum common sense they are like desperately hurling themselves at anything that will kill them so like to try to like wrangle toddlers into a bed shape required um, mental games it was like i would play um 10 impossible things a, uh, oh my god my brain is so sad right now i didn't take my painkillers yet so forgive me but uh lewis carroll oh. thank god um yeah one of my favorite books i have tattoos all over my body from this why would that fly um 10 impossible things we would play games like that where we come up with like we do fairy circus and 10 impossible things you would find at a fairy circus and it kept a toddler on a bed and I would give them like little cameras, like digital cameras to walk around with and I could hear them clicking and telling me what they found. They come back and show it every, how did you 
do that. By the way, that long diatribe was just like ideas for anyone out there trying to figure out what to do with this. Um, yeah. How did you parent from bed? Well, I do a lot. And honestly, we're all no, no technology household too, because my son, they were both. You're, you're shocking me. Give me a minute. I'm going to no, deep listen, in. Right and, now. And, and, and I had to because, okay, so both of my kids were premature. Uh, they were both in NICUs. They had subsequent health problems. And my son at two had major behavioral problems. We're talking tantrums. It was really bad. It's so bad. He's eight now and his tantrums are very far and few between as they were. But at the time, not only was I dealing with myself being sick, but medications and breathing monitors in two very sick babies that are only 15 months apart. Oh my so, God. I just want to hug you right now. I can't imagine that. I, I, I think everyone's jaw just dropped a little bit going, how did she, how do you, how? <laughs> I, I, you just do. And I know that that's not a good answer because you just do something kicks in. And then I was, I was knee deep in postpartum depression, which I didn't realize until later on. But for, for parenting from the bed, I make it realistic. I lowered my expectations, but I also upped my game in areas that I could. So if it's a bed day, um, I will put them on bed and my son has learned to be quite the card shark. He loves magic tricks and he loves to shuffle the cards. And I find the sound of the shuffle very calming. So that boy can shuffle cards till kingdom come as far as I'm concerned. And it, it keeps his brain moving. We, by, by no, so here's, let me just backtrack a little bit as to why I, we personally are no technology and I love it. I'm I have the latest iPhone. I have MacBook. I'm a tech person, but we went to the pediatrician when my son was having these tantrums and behavioral issues. And she asked about, I'm, I do holistic nutrition. That's what I do professionally. And so I'm on point to the best of my ability with children uh, for nutrition. I knew what his triggers were. So then she said, well, how is he with tech time? I said, uh, you know, he has educational games only. I said all the right things. And I said, but really, he's probably watching Netflix, probably playing Minecraft, you know, all this stuff. And so then she told me, and this was, this was a game changer for me. When we are watching mindless TV, our brains are not really working hard. They're not competitive. We're not winning or losing a game. We're not thinking math. Um, but if we're doing that on a, on a tablet from a child's perspective, he was losing the games, even if they were educational, he couldn't get the answer right. And he didn't know how to express that. So he'd get frustrated and take that out on us. So we experimented for two weeks got rid of all iPads before it got to be an addiction and his moods lessened. Mm -hmm. And then we had found that that's what just worked for us. Um, and, and also I, I don't know, um, about anyone else's upbringing, um, in your audience, but if you are over the age of at least 30 or 35, you grew up without social media, you grew up without texting. And so developing relationships came naturally to us. And social media and text and the invention of all these other communication process uh, um, devices are just an added bonus. They're just like the icing on the cake. So I want them to know how to open a book and what the library smells like and know how to actually communicate and resolve issues. And that is what helped me in my chronic illness. Because now they are understanding. They do look me in the eye. They do know how to speak. And I can only hope and pray that that gets better as they mature. So can you explain for, for a parent who, you know, you have a blog and you have everything going, so I assume you're on tech and social media. 
How do you, mm-hmm. by the way, I'm asking this for me. <laughs> this, is, this is a selfish <laughs> okay. question. Um, how do you handle that with the children who are not, um, is my life is entirely on my iPad. I draw my iPad. I make my books on my iPad. Like that thing is never more than a hand away. How do you handle the, the I live on an iPad, you don't get to touch it? Uh, well, I'm a big believer and they learn by example. So when they are home or when they're with me, I don't. I set business hours. Right now they're at school and I'm nose in the phone, nose in my computer, typing away. I have a good six hours a day where it is all about me. And when my husband's on shift, I'm home alone all day working myself. But from the hours of 3 p.m. to 8 p.m. and I'm strict with bedtimes, they got me. Um, I'll answer the phone or I'll text or I'll get on a Zoom call. And when I work, like for example, I do run a business on social media and through Zoom calls and Skype calls, I involve them. And so I know, they know I'm working, I'm not playing. And that's kind of how I, if I have to do it around them, I just communicate that. Saturday Night Live did the best skit. I don't know if you saw, it's probably about three years ago, but there was a dad who was giving a CNN like report and his toddler came running into the room and the mom comes like crawling in to try to get the kid out. And then um, SNL did the best skit I've ever seen SNL do of like, the mom doing the CNN call where like the kids come running in, she just plops one up on her arm and just keeps going. <laughs> like that's, yeah, that's really the reality of like, you know, it is. how life is when you are working from home is you just kind of have to set. And I think this is actually true about everything is expectations are everything. If you set expectations that you can meet, very few mm-hmm. people get disappointed and most of your headaches and heartaches are going to be about people being disappointed that an expectation wasn't met. Oh, it's also I've had lots of therapy as well. I've been hospitalized for I've been hospitalized for anxiety. I've 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 been through a lot, which I'm sure you have and a lot of your listeners have. So the thing is, little kids fill in the blanks if they don't get told the facts. And sometimes for me, I thought by not telling them whether I'm very sick or whether I'm working, they fill in the blanks with their own imagination. And it's usually worse mm-hmm. or more or different than the reality. So if they see me on my iPad, they only know that they only play on the iPads. Well, why is mom doing it and I can't? It's because I have to tell them. So why is mom sick? Why is mom in the hospital? Why did the ambulance come? So my therapist was amazing. And she said, don't be afraid to tell them. Just always focus on hope. Always Mm -hmm. say, yeah, mommy's sick. Mommy went to the hospital, but it's so she can get better so that she could be here right now or things like that. And I'm like that with technology too. Not easy and not perfect at all. Anyone who says a that lot. any of this is easy or perfect, I um, I want to know what, what they're selling. Um, <laughs> the, the only people who claim perfect and easy are selling something. So it's... Um, selling it's, something. Yeah. Or they're insecure. That's what I noticed. You know, there's a real thing with the... Um, with uh, people presenting as female in business that I've learned that from. I mean, and I, I don't know what it's like to be a man or presenting as male in a male business world, but I've certainly lived many years as like women own businesses, women business owners, and there's a lot of shark oil and there's a lot of spin mm-hmm. to make things look easy. And if you just had this one little secret that I'm, I'm withholding mm-hmm. from you with a, 
you can buy for a life coach plan for not saying all life coaches are bullshit, but I'm just saying like, this is a lot of what I would see is I'm going to withhold this one secret. They'll make your life perfect. If you just, and it's always just like, if you just three easy payments. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of spin there. Um, so I wanted to, I'm totally going to get back to the kids, but I realized that there's like a question I really wanted to ask you and I forgot. Um, go figure. (laughs) Not like me at all. Um, but you were talking about the man who, who broke protocol and I want to talk for a minute not about him necessarily but about what it's like to live your life on protocol because I think a lot of people are like oh look you're a person with MS and you're in this treatment plan you must be so grateful and does not realize what it's like to live a life on protocol can you give a general mm-hmm. what that's like well fortunately for patients with LCAT the only protocol we have is we do have to take a um, we're on Lysinopro which is not it's marketed for blood pressure but it's also for, to preserve the kidneys and keep them intact as long as possible. Um, the protocol that I have is that I just have to stay on that and then go to the NIH when they need me. I am one of the patient liaisons for our community of LCATs. And the reason for that is because I am compliant. I, I lead a, a healthier lifestyle. I don't smoke. I don't do a lot of the things that could damage my body. I don't judge those who do, but for me personally, I just can't. And if I'm gonna live longer and beat the odds, I have to prove that things do help symptoms. That I'm very thankful that my doctors, they're not medication happy. They, They aim, like when I was just there at NIH, I was there, I was diagnosed with the functional disorder while I was there. I was also diagnosed with hypothyroidism while I was there. Undiagnosed for 40 years, hypothyroidism. That is the other thing that's interesting. Um, Stroke-like symptoms, paralysis, NFD, anxiety and depression. More women between the ages of 40 and 60 are diagnosed with thyroidism, and you would think that it would have been caught in years past. So... And what I did know is it's a lot. We're just uh, hysterical. I mean, obviously that's the the diagnosis, right? (laughs) She's crazy. She's totally just crazy. Um, So being on protocol for me, it can be a challenge. And I often question myself if I have this particular thing or if I do this particular activity. Thankfully, the LCAP protocol is not as involved as others are because there's so little research and there's so little known about it. They just know, stay on this medication. And they've done studies on my urine for the last 20 years to know that it's stable. They stabilize the protein urea. So my protocol is not that involved. I just, I have my own protocols that are actually more stressful than the other protocols. Like my diet is strict and, you know, things like that for my brain. I have to. How many, okay, I'm just going to be real here because that's what I am. Please. <laughs> I, I, in the chronic illness community, on social media, I had to unfollow a lot of them because there is a tone of negative and sad and weepy all the time. It's really, really hard to feel you're alone in positive thinking. And I'm not saying I'm like this all the time. Believe me, this is my first time on your show. I have my days where I I have contemplated that I'm a burden and all of those negative things that your demons tell you. But the thing is, I struggle more with being around people who just lose hope. And I want to be the person who gives hope, but that it's also exhausting. I don't know if you've experienced that, but it's really hard when people just can't move forward and you're doing everything you can to support them and they just don't want to. I'm not talking to people who don't have the ability. I'm talking about people who want to give up, you know? 
So I stay on the protocols and I do the best I can. And that's really all I have. It's not hard for me because I know a lot of people who have symptoms and don't have a protocol. So maybe I do fall into that category of, I feel blessed that there's something with such a rare disease that they can give me. Um, but I've even experimented and I've gone off the medication just because I wanted to see. And I swelled up and my leg, I, it was awful. It was awful. I came close to throwing in the towel in some pretty emotionally driven ways, if you know what I mean. I, I, I absolutely do know what you mean. I have tattoos that cover up those moments. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've been Baker acted. I have no problem talking about that. Um, I'm very public about it in my mental health uh, past. Um, and I don't think enough people talk about that as well. It's so I think there's a lot of shame in that. I don't <laughs> yes. know why. I don't know why. Um, you know, it's really interesting. Is you know, anyone who listens knows how absolutely fucking political I am. Um, and the reason I'm bringing oh, this yeah. up, shocking, I know, um, is because I've noticed a lot with because uh, we're going through a debate cycle, and I'm of course fascinated. My <laughs> I'm way too mm -hmm. fascinated, and I've noticed that no one's talked about disability or chronic illness. Um, they're talking mm -hmm. about mental health only because we are in the middle of, you know, a, what, 10-year epidemic of mass shootings. So now they're starting to talk about mental health, mm -hmm. but they're not talking about the right mental health. Um, but what I find interesting when we're talking about mental health and why people aren't talking about it is we're talking about two issues that, that affect so many people throughout the world. Like, all the world and mental health and physical disabilities are a massive percentage of us. And yet we mm -hmm. all try to stay quiet about it. And I don't know if it's like, you know, if you listen to the podcast and you heard Jen Toll, it's a quote that stuck out to me all the time was, I'm the antelope on the belt. I don't want to look sick. I don't want, there are, there are lions out there. Mm -hmm. I'm the healthiest antelope mm -hmm. that ever lived. Hop, hop, hop. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that's what it is, is that we're like trying to hide it because there's, it's scary to be weak. Um, you can lose your job. You could not get hired. Mm -hmm. uh, there's, there's so much there. And then you said something beautiful in your questionnaire. I want to get to it because there's also the judgment of our families, of our friends, of people who are not going to get it or are going to hold it against us. And um, mm -hmm. I, I sent out a questionnaire. If you're ever on the podcast, you'll get a very long questionnaire and it's our show notes. So when you read through our show notes, that's exactly what this is. And I asked you, um, what would make living and moving in the world easier for you? And you said a community of those who understood but didn't operate on sympathy. And that, that hit close to home too. You know, when we're talking about why we, we mm -hmm. want to stay away from things is that people don't necessarily come from a place of empathy first and compassion right. first and try to understand what's going on first. And they tend to go from sympathy. Oh, poor you. Um, or my personal favorite thing I was told was your life must be a living hell. You must feel very guilty um, to, Oh, I don't even know how to process you just because I feel so sorry for you. Yeah. Well, empathy is your pain in my heart. Mm. It doesn't necessarily mean that, they feel the same way. Um, for example, when someone loses a loved one in death, you've never lived that with me, but I know you can lean in because it, it applies to all of us. Sympathy is much different than empathy. And I can understand, I have, I have friends who are empathetic, but they use the term, the terms interchangeably. And what I meant by operating by sympathy was I feel bad for Wendy for this, that, like, don't feel bad for me. But be with me because you love me and you genuinely like who I am as a human being. And that is what I, I, I wish I had more of, was a community of people who operated and just treating you like I'm a human being, 
For example, a lot of people, and I understand this, because of the, the paralysis, it can happen. I don't foresee it. I don't have aura. I don't have anything like that. I will be talking to you, and then I'll just go paralyzed. It's very difficult for people to want to be in the presence of that because they don't know how to handle it. And I, I have empathy for them. I can understand that. Why? Because I understand what it's like to be the odd man out. And I understand having it. It makes me a very sympathetic, empathetic, compassionate person, but a community based on sympathy is something that I find. I know they mean well, but it sounds like negative. I don't want to, someone to feel sorry for me. I want to be proactive. Let's get resources. Invite me out to dinner. Invite me out to lunch. Let's get a glass of wine. Let's talk about you. Let's not talk about my illness because it is mm. not, it does not define me. Um, but deep inside there's always that little girl in us that wants someone just to love us because we're not asking for it, but because they love us and they want to put a blanket on us, you know? That, uh, yeah, I think that goes across the board for everyone is, you know, like when, when we're talking about anyone, even when we're talking about people that we really just can't stand or can't even process, we're like, how could you even think that way or be that way or do that way? I mean, what we all are is like inside there's, there's something that got hurt and that we want to heal. And we all do that in very different ways and sometimes incredibly destructive and even cruel ways. But it's important for us never to, to take away the humanity of anyone else, even people anyone. we find abhorrent, because then we don't understand that like the monster and the angel lives inside all of us. <laughs> like we are capable well, that's of what all I, of it. <laughs> that's what I meant before. I don't, you know, and let me, let me just go back to what I said before, because I didn't want to appear um, insulting. Sometimes I say things that I probably like could have put a prettier ribbon on it. It's not that I have a hard time with our community because of negativity. It's that I feel drained because I want to help everybody and I can't, I have learned my limitations. Modesty is a lot of mod being a modest person is knowing your limitations. And that's something I've had no comprehension of. Okay. So, so help, help a girl out, help a guy out, help all of us out. How do you create limitations? How do you, you set up those, like those mental health safety barriers around yourself when I you're trying to lead a community? So how, what does I that look like? I watch who I spend time with. I watch who I spend time with. I watch what they talk about. I watch their word choice. Even something as simple as when I speak with my children and I say, walk, I don't say don't run because then they're focusing on what not to do. So when I speak with people and I make sure I'm in therapy constantly just for well visits, not for sick visits, you know, maintenance, creating boundaries and setting realistic expectations of myself and knowing my limitations is a lifelong struggle. It's not like I wake up every day and say, Oh, well that's a limitation because I want to do everything. I have the desire, but I have to do check. I have to check in with my body. Can I do this today? Can I be with this individual today? Can I exert myself today? And if the answer is no, then it just doesn't serve me or my family. If it's not part of my faith, my family or my finances, meaning my business, it doesn't get my attention because I do mm. everything whole sold and I do nothing half ass. And if I give anything my attention, I'm going to be married to it. So I, it's just my personality. I have to watch what I decide to do and what I give energy to because I will give everything to what I set out to do. Does that make sense? Am I making sense? I mean, what, the truest thing that I've ever heard, which applies to everyone, and I mean everyone, is that time is your only non-renewable resource. 
Like oh, I every love that. other thing you can try to get more of, but you can't try to get more time. Like that's that's the one thing you always have to watch the hardest when you're budgeting is your time and your attention. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I love what you say because you're you seem like you have a very set value system and you filter everything through that value system first. And I think that's a really Didn't important always. thing. It, all of this is hard one. I don't think anyone is listening to you thinking you came out of the womb going, I am a guru, I've got this all figured the hell out. Like, no. I, I hear no, you talking. And and, I'll get off this call with you and I'll be like, I'm probably, and I'll have a lot of like word remorse and <laughs> I probably shouldn't have said that. I'm gonna, I'll, I'll be probably apologizing to you for the next couple of weeks over just in case I offended somebody out there, because I do have a chronic offender. Like, I, <laughs> I am I am flawed. Oh, my God. Rib dislocation. Don't make me laugh like that. I'll cry. It's, it's easier. It doesn't hurt as bad. <laughs> well, what's, if I may ask, I know this is your show, but what what do you have? I don't know that much about you. Oh, am yeah. I, no, okay, what, so just like a quick, like, background check on this. Most of my – almost – like 90% of my guests come to me through the website. They know me. They listen to the mm-hmm. show. They're, they're, they're fans. Um, I met Wendy on a podcast, uh, she podcast group on um, Facebook, which is a tremendous supportive, wonderful group. But I just mentioned like, Hey, we got this great international audience. Now we just hit 75,000 downloads. I'm super proud. So a few people mentioned like, Oh, cool. Chronicle this podcast. Yay. And I kind of read some of her stuff. I'm like, Oh, please come on. I do this very rarely where I ask someone to come on. Um, but yes, please come on was, was what I was saying. It was, it was very much like when I met one of my best friends and I saw, and this is as, as an adult, I swear to you, this is the person I am. I like, we were in our thirties and I saw her for the first time and she was wearing Doc Martens and a Ramones t-shirt in the middle of the Silicon Valley. And I was like, Oh my God, we're friends. Just letting you know, yeah. uh, will you be my friend? <laughs> like I seriously said that at 30. Um, that's just, who I am. Uh, so yeah, it was just very much like you're everything you're dealing with and going through. I was like, you are definitely the person I want on this podcast to talk because I, I really vibe with the lack of like the not infallibility. Like I am not perfect. I'm dealing with all of this stuff. And this is the real story. Like I have a hard time with the like inspiring word where everyone's trying, like I've seen this with like some chronic illness, quote unquote influencers where it's like, my world is perfect, but I have this disorder. If that's their life, cheers to you. But it certainly doesn't relate to me. Like I cannot relate. It doesn't relate to me. Well, and that's where I got on this. That's why I got on social media. This is why I started blogging. It's not just because I wanted to to to, to debunk the myths that parenting is perfect. And you put like I don't understand what's going on with social media in the sense of why are all of these moms like I live in Florida and there are moms posting pictures of them, you know, like their perfect beautiful family in a barn and on a field. Um like, girl, I know where you live and it is not a barn. And I know that your kid never smiles. What what? Why are you wearing white linen? You own converse. Like this is what this is the stuff I can't handle. So when it came to chronic people with chronic illness, I was like, no. It is not easy. It is not simple. And it's not all about going on Pinterest and finding inspirational quotes because I I, I just, I find that an inspirational quote, yes, it can get you through the day. I love quotes. I'm a writer. But honey, when it is the worst and you feel like you are on your last day, you need that one person to say, you know what? My kids didn't flush the toilets today. And you know what? I haven't washed my hair in five days. And guess what? I'm still alive. Those are my people. And I'm not saying go on social media and be totally honest about color and consistency. But when I talk about be real, I mean, who are you? Like, 
your ideal client or who you are is you, but five years ago. So if I can help people from five years ago, then my mission is clear. Even if one person says, you know what? I like Wendy. I want to know her because she gets me and she's never even met me. Then I'm done. And I'm not going to accomplish that by making, by posting pretty pictures from a $5,000 photographer on Facebook. But See, people you, think that's what You're it hurting is. me a little bit because that was my old job. I was the $5,000 photographer. <laughs> Oh, good. That's hey, what I did for a living for a long time. No, all good. No, I, I will not take offense. But, you know, like the, those pictures, like what I always felt those were, were like, here's a snapshot in time. And this is like, this is the boat where, yeah, probably your kids fight and they scream all the time. But it's good to have a visual representation in your house of what being getting along looks like. It was nice to have that out there. Like That's I have, true. I have yes. those photos in my. I mean, house. the ones who are like repeat offenders. Those, those are the ones I mean. The, when I you first are started on my journey as a mom or having illness, I was surrounded by people who repetitively made breastfeeding look awesome, and they made potty training look like a breeze. And I was like, "What is wrong with me? Where I am not fulfilled as a stay-at-home mom? Like, what is wrong with me?" And it wasn't me. It was just nobody was open with it. But I saw it as an opportunity for content. So here we are. <laughs> it really is. And there is, there's a definite place and a need for that. Like if what you're doing in your life, whatever that is, is not fulfilling, whether you can escape that situation or not, I'm not saying to that because everyone is in a different point in their lives and what their, their resources are. But it is important to take a look. If you're like, I am not fulfilled here. And then see if there's some way, even, you know, like I recognize I'm in a tremendous point of privilege. I haven't always been. And even when you are in really bad places, it, there is often a possibility of like, okay, is there anything, literally anything that could bring me joy today? Is there literally anything that could make me feel fulfilled? If that's singing, if that's taking one of your kids crayons and start drawing if that's you know just typing out some words like whatever that is it's important not to let go of that little spark of insanity that little spark of like you know what Robin Williams said we're all born with the spark of insanity or madness don't lose it like that's that's why I think they can see it through the day right I mean missed that man so much he was wonderful he was like he was the patron saint of where I live like Everyone was like, there's like a period of mourning when he passed. Like it was a real yeah. thing that affected the yeah. Bay Area when he was gone. Like that was just an amazing person. Um, so speaking of things that uh, are real and not real and regretting things that you say, I will give you a hint because I speak out a lot. I'm very vocal. I get called shrill nonstop. Um, I don't really? actually, yes, I, 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 it's all over. If you look at our reviews, there's like a lot of reviews talking about how shrill I am. It's, I seriously have let it go, people, I promise. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, I, I actually don't tend to re-listen to, because what I said, I said, and I said it in the moment. Now, if I regret that later and someone comes back at me and goes, you really offended and hurt me. I absolutely want to hear that. I want someone like we've had people who are trans who have come to us and gone, wow, when you said this, it hurt my feelings and I felt not included. And I could go, whoa, well, I said that and I said that and now you've just expanded my compassion and my knowledge. And I'm so grateful. Um, I'm not grateful that I hurt your feelings, but I'm grateful that now I have I didn't understand trans issues nearly as well. And I certainly don't understand them perfectly now. But I said something that I could have regretted, but it. Mm -hmm. ended up bringing some amazing people in my life who I adore and who were oh, yeah. and enough to take in the acting world, energy in the theater world. It's, there's no such thing as a bad review. 
Um, well, it's, it's like when you're worried about like, did I offend someone? It, it gives someone an opportunity to come to you in respect and kindness and go, yeah, I was offended. And this is why, and this is um, maybe something you haven't thought about yet. Expand your world. And you can go either yeah. uh, what I see a lot on, on the social media, which is fuck you, go away. Um, or you can <laughs> respond with compassion and, and try for some understanding and go, wow, I don't live in that, that world. I don't, I've never even met anyone like you. I don't even have anyone like you mm-hmm. in my sphere. Would you be willing to talk to me about this? And that's also a thing. Like you shouldn't force someone into being an ambassador, <laughs> but you can yeah. go, wow, yeah. I don't understand this. I'll read some books. Would you be willing to give me a little bit of talk on this when you have time and energy and I'll read about this or I'll research this, you know? Um, I think that's also really important too. One of the things that I believe makes you like that is because, uh, you know, I'll speak for myself. <laughs> oh, you can, you <laughs> to, to can therapy like me. I don't have, because I I don't have like, the insurance to have therapy. Go ahead and be my therapist. It's fine. <laughs> because you lo- because you long for that, so you do it for others. Well, I want to know you. Yeah. I want to know your circumstance. I didn't realize it, but that's to, when I say that to someone else, I feel like that's my way of saying, please ask me about me. Please ask me why I am the way that I am. And so what we do is we give the people, we give other people the benefit of us being more um, open-minded, I guess, for lack of better words. So I find that fascinating that you're like that. And a lot of people with chronic illness are. They, wow, give me an opportunity to learn and I'll take it. So I think it's amazing that you're like that. Is that why you use the terminology presenting as women? Yes. I've, I've never heard it put that way. Yes. I see. Absolutely. Okay. Because like it, it was an episode where we were talking about endometriosis and I was like, oh, mm. as a woman, as a woman, as a woman. And a very kind person called me out and they're like, I am trans. I am trans presenting male and I have endometriosis. Mm. I have this going on within my body. So it really made me feel not included when you say this. So that's, I, and you know, if you're trans and you're like, you're still not getting it right, go ahead and email me. I'm working on this. I am researching. I'm doing my best. I promise you. And if Mm -hmm. you know better, you let me know so I can, I mean, it just seems like such a no brainer to me is like someone's hurting and there's something I can do (laughs) that would make it less something I can do that would make like it me who feels like there's very little in the world I can do to make things better. And someone comes to me Mm -hmm. with something I can do to make them feel included. Holy Mm -hmm. fuck. Yes, I'm going to do it. I will absolutely go to the mat to like make someone feel included or better. If it's something I can do, I'm so excited. I'm like, wow, there's very little I can do for my bed for my all right, everyone, the um, next part will be released either next week or the week after for part two. Please listen to it. It's, uh, we get into even a looser form of just chatting and talking more about what's real um, and how to be real in everything and how to handle diagnoses. Um, again, please share. Please see what you can do to help out with all of this. Um, and uh, yeah, be gentle, be kind, be a badass, and remember to share this episode. This is an important one. Thanks, all.